Welcome to North Gate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. The problem is not the vows of commitment. The problem is our neglect of those vows and forgetting those vows along the way. And I'll tell you, in all of my experience, I think the single greatest cause of divorce can be summed up in one word. Selfishness. That is probably the biggest contributor to divorce in our nation, in our world. It's simply selfishness. Human wisdom says, it's my rights, my needs, my wants, my satisfaction, my happiness. And God says something different. The book of Proverbs is filled with godly wisdom. In fact, it's, it's, it's wisdom for life. And there's all kinds of practical, hands-on kinds of things that you can learn in every area of life, particularly when it comes to marriage and family. So this morning, we're starting a new series looking at the book of Proverbs. You probably noticed uh, that there are two chairs and two stands up here. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I've asked my wife, Betty, um, if she would come and help me with this sermon this morning. So we welcome her. I have had people from time to time, you know, we have three services, and she doesn't attend all three services, so she go. Pastor Ken have a wife? <laughs> yes, I do. And some people were wondering for a while, did she leave him? No, nope, she's right here. Um, and in fact, tomorrow we actually celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. So, we have learned some things over the last 30 years, some of it the hard way. Uh, some of the things that were right there in Scripture that if we had only paid attention, we could have avoided a lot of the problems that we had, especially in those early years. But... Um, this morning I asked her if she would kind of help me as we look through the book of Proverbs and some of the, the basic human needs that we have. Why we get married. Um, and there are, in, in fact, Dr. Willard Harley wrote a book a number of years ago now called His Needs, Her Needs. He is a Christian psychologist. He's actually an MFCC, Marriage Family Child Counselor. And in all of his years of practice, he began to notice there are basic human needs here at work. And there are the five greatest needs of men and the five greatest needs of women. And when we don't understand our spouse's needs, that's where we get off track. And so he wrote the book based on that. And a lot of the wisdom that's in there comes right out of Scripture, right out of the book of Proverbs. In fact, if you want to, on your outline there, it's on the top of your outline, Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. I'd like you to read this out loud with me. Because this is the basics of all that we're going to talk about this morning. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. Read it with me, would you please? By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. It takes wisdom and understanding. And God has given us those things. So, this morning we're going to look at the five greatest needs of husbands, the five greatest needs of wives. And we're going to kind of tag team it here. So husbands, the first thing you need to know is that your wife needs your affection. Your wife needs your affection. Proverbs 5.18 says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving doe, a graceful deer. The word rejoice there, really, it comes from a root brighten, or, or to take delight in, to be glad, to celebrate. That's what you do when you rejoice. He says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Affection is expressing your love. It is a tangible expression of love. It symbolizes security for your wife. It symbolizes affirmation and care. It is probably the single greatest need that women have. They need affection. It is, tan it is the tangible expressions of love. So here are some examples for you. Compliment. Compliments go a long, long way. Hugs and kisses. 
are very, very important. Holding hands. You know, I know you, when you were dating, you held hands all the time. Now you get married, you know, it's like, ah, oh, this feels weird. <laughs> Holding hands. Opening the door for her. Those are simple expressions of love. They're expressions of affection. Now let me ask you, of those five, what do they all have in common? Anybody want to venture a guess? Touching. What's that? Touching. They involve touching, but even, even more basic than that. They don't cost you a thing. <laughs> they are totally free. It costs you nothing to hold hands. It costs you nothing to open a door. It costs you nothing to pay a compliment or to give a hug or a kiss. It costs you nothing. Why don't we do it? It is so basic and so elemental. And it means so much. It costs you nothing, but it is a huge investment in your marriage. It really is. Because it meets the greatest need that your wife has. Now, if you want to splurge and spend some money, buy flowers. Okay, send her flowers. Or, or buy a card. Now, here's the thing. When you buy a card, you could buy the cheapest card on the rack. Okay? If it's got a pretty picture on the cover, as long as you on the inside you write a personal message. Because that's what matters. And if you say, well, I'm not really good at writing stuff, then at least underline key words in the print that's already there. Okay? Somehow show that you made some effort. Because when you do that, you're showing affection. And you are meeting one of your wife's greatest needs. Sometimes in marriage counseling, I talk with couples, I talk with husbands, and they complain about their sex life or their lack thereof. And I tell them, how affectionate are you? Because what you need to understand is, affection is the atmosphere. Sex is the event. Okay? You create an atmosphere of love and affection in your home. And it will, it will brighten up that other side of it. And the number one need for husbands is sexual fulfillment. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Proverbs. It has been said that the average man thinks about sex once every three minutes. Or another survey, seven seconds. <laughs> so while we're up here, you guys are having some thoughts out there. <laughs> The typical woman does not understand her husband's need for sex. Men see themselves as a whole entity, not a bunch of little compartments like women do. If a man's sex life is good, then life is good. And it follows that if a man's sex life is bad, then life is bad. For a woman, she can compartmentalize her life. Her sex life can be bad, but work is good. Family is okay, so life is okay. She can compartmentalize things. A husband tends to take things more as one entity. You may wonder, as I did, why sex is so important to a man. Well, every day, a man walks into a world that says to him, prove yourself. He can't conceive a baby, carry a fetus, give birth, or breastfeed. These are all acts of power that we as women have. Sex is his quickest and most direct route to affirmation. It is confirmation that is so deep, it is almost soulish rather than physical in nature. The way this plays out in a marriage is that when a man is turned down by his wife, it feels personal. It feels like rejection. A major breakthrough can come when a couple can let their personal pain guide their responses to each other. A husband feels the same pain in sexual rejection that a wife feels when she bears her soul to her husband and he doesn't listen 
but turns away without a response. We all have various stages of desire throughout our lives. The trick is to get them to line up. When we first have children, we as women feel dragged out, put upon, we're hung on, we're changing filthy diapers, we're chasing little children around with snotty noses, and it is very hard to feel sexual at that point. But we need to learn to overcome our sexual ignorances. We need to learn about our sexuality. Read books. Try new things. Talk to someone who has a good sex life. And above all, communicate with each other. You can't enjoy your end of the marriage if your spouse isn't enjoying theirs. At this point, we have lost all the men. because That's all they're going to think about. (laughs) (laughs) You need to understand, sex is a good thing. God created it. And he created it within the context of a deeply committed, intimate relationship. It is really vital. And and I think sometimes we have, well, not sometimes, we have in our society cheapened sex to simply self-gratification. And it's something far more deeper, far more sacred than that. It is meant to be within the confines of that committed relationship because it it is the most intimate of physical expressions. And it needs to fit with all the other areas of intimacy of life. And our society has so cheapened it that we don't understand the sacredness of it. Hebrews 13.4 says, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. It is God designed for a purpose, for building intimacy in your marriage. Second thing, guys, you need to know about your wife is she needs conversation with you. She needs conversation. Women, and these are generalities, okay? But in general, women tend to be more verbal, okay? Men tend to be more visual. And your wife needs conversation, not just a day-to-day small talk, taking care of business, or the, or the grunt behind the newspaper at breakfast in the morning, okay? <laughs> a real conversation. Proverbs 18.4 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. Wisdom comes like a flowing river. And all too often, we shut off the tap. And conversation does not flow. And that is closing off a very vital part of your wife's life. This next scripture, Proverbs 12, 14 says, Many good things come from what a man says. Do you remember when you were first dating, you could talk for hours on the phone? And it didn't matter what you talked about, just to be talking. And then you get married and conversation just seems to drop off. This... um, a couple of weeks ago, our whole pastoral staff went together down to the Purpose Driven Church Conference, a uh, leadership conference down at Saddleback in, in Southern California. And uh, the newest member of our pastoral staff, Johnny Walsh, is a newlywed. Been married, I think it was like two weeks by the time we went away. And it's like every time we couldn't find Johnny, he's off in the corner on his cell phone talking to Kate, you know? And we're, we started teasing him and giving him such a hard time. You hang up first. No, you hang up first. I love you more. I love you more. You know, we just kind of give him a hard time. But the thing is, you know, that is a good thing. Never stop doing that. Because conversation is so important to your wife. She needs that. It is verbal attention. And that means it takes time. Which means you need to make time to talk. And I think a good thing that every couple can do is a regular date night, at least once a week. Every other week if you can't. If you can't do once a week. But... Time where you will sit down and talk about life. 
Talk about your hopes and your dreams, not just who's picking up the kids and what laundry needs to be picked up and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's talking about your hopes and your dreams. It's sharing those parts of your life that you don't get to talk to with anybody else. And it's very, very important. Now, a word of caution to wives, okay? When you want these deep conversations, don't come in the bottom of the night with two out, bases loaded, runners in scoring position, okay? That is not the time to sit down and say, we need to talk, okay? What you need is time where you won't be interrupted and won't be distracted. But husbands, it's up to you. Make time for conversation with your wife. I have a good story about that for Ken. Uh, a few weeks ago, I'll tell on our uh, worship pastor, Brian, his wife was shopping in the city, and she came back to the office to show Brian what she had bought, and Brian was on his laptop typing away, and she came in, Brian, I went to the city, and I got some great stuff. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she said, look, let me show you what you got. Okay, okay. And he's typing and doing his stuff on the thing, and she's showing him everything she bought. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's nice, that's nice, honey. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So then Ken comes out, and he says, oh, Allison, did you go shopping? Yeah. Well, come and show me what you got. He closes his laptop, looks at her. She shows him something. That's really nice, Allison. She goes, oh, and it was this price. Oh, that's a great deal. And he just poured himself into her for those few minutes. And Brian was mortified because he had not responded quite the way that he should have. But he's only been married a few years. So. Was <laughs> I've had 30 years of practice at this. I've learned. He'll learn. The second thing your husband needs is companionship. Enjoy life with your wife, Ecclesiastes 9.9. Not with your buddies, not with your co-workers, but with your wife. Companionship is second only to sex in importance to a man. Have you ever noticed that the feelings of euphoria that you get when you're doing something you truly enjoy and how those feelings are transferred to the person you're doing it with? Well, if that's your wife, if you're doing that with your husband, then those feelings of euphoria are transferred to that person. For some reason, like Ken said, it's very easy for couples that are dating to have fun together as well as to converse together. But once they get married, they suddenly have nothing in common. We get married, get bogged down with work, family, and responsibilities, and we no longer take time for each other. Well, this has to change. You have to find something that you both enjoy doing. Make two lists. His likes, her likes. Where do they overlap? Maybe there's even some things you've been doing together that aren't on his likes or her likes. Maybe you should stop doing those things and start doing things that you enjoy doing together. And above all, don't take separate vacations. Something I have never understood in a married couple is separate vacations. You need to do things that you enjoy together, that build up that relationship together. Now, once in a while, you might have to travel apart, fine, but when you're planning a vacation, that needs to be something that you do together. I like to do ballet. Ken likes to sail. Hmm. <laughs> they don't really overlap, but we do both like to travel. We like going to the movies, reading, sightseeing, shopping in new places, and water sports. So, every Friday night, we have a standing date, and we go to dinner. Once in a while, when we feel extravagant, we throw in a movie. We explore local sites together about once a month, and we travel together at least once every four months. Mike Maggart has a joke about the Jensen vacations. Jensen's are going on vacation again. <clears throat> it's important. 
Sometimes during our, our vacations, we might enjoy separate activities. One time we went to Hawaii and Ken decided we were going to go on this racing, sailing thing at the windiest part of the day and we went and I was sick the entire time. So now when we go somewhere and they have these cool racing, sailing things, he does it and I don't. But we come back together at night, talk about what we did that day and then spend the rest of our time together. Even when we had little children, we vacationed every other year without children. I know you're shocked. When you have little children, you have to be with them, pour yourself into them. No. You have to spend some time apart from them. So every other year, we would take a vacation. We were fortunate enough to have a very large extended family who could watch our children. And then even if it was three or four days, we would vacation without them. If you don't develop companionship while your children are still at home, there will be no relationship when they leave. If you want a relationship when your children are gone, you must develop it while they're still at home. You are not suddenly one day, when they're 20, going to wake up and look at the person next to you and say, okay, now let's develop a relationship together. You have to do it while they're still at home. So have some fun, laugh together, take some time with your best friend. Third thing your wife needs, husbands, is openness and honesty. Proverbs 12, 19 says, Lips that tell the truth will last forever, but a lying tongue lasts only for a little while. There is nowhere that this is more vital than in a marriage relationship. Because marriage is based on trust. And if you hold secrets or you tell lies or you don't have an open and honest relationship, it undermines the foundation of your marriage. And so there needs to be an openness and, and an honesty about all the things that's going on. Sometimes you know, we think, well, we're protecting her from worrying about something. No, you're excluding her from a very important detail of life. Are you trying to stay out of trouble? You know, it's better to admit up ahead of time and get it over with and then move on, okay? Because it, it, when you keep secrets, you are undermining the relationship. Proverbs 26, 23 says, Insincere talk that hides what you're really thinking is like fine glaze on a cheap clay pot. It brings nothing but ruin. It is important that there is openness and honesty. It's one of the things that your wife needs. And some of the ways that you do that is that you get... One thing, you, I, I have determined that my wife has immediate access to me at any time. If, I, if there are times like in the office where... I've only got a block of an hour or two for study time and I really just can't be interrupted and I need you know, no phone calls. I will, I'll tell the secretary, tell Pam, hold my calls, take messages. I just need to block out some time for study. Hold all of my calls except Betty. She has immediate access all the time. And, uh, and I'm not, you know, now with cell phones, man, you, you know, there's no excuse, guys. Okay, now my problem is I don't turn on my cell phone. In fact, if you call my cell phone, you usually get a message that says, you can leave a message, but I probably won't get it because I never turn this thing on. Okay? <laughs> I don't leave it on, and then I get, you know, I've been trying to reach you for the last two hours. Okay, so I'm getting better at this. But, but immediate access, it says that you're, you're the most important person in the world to me. And I'm not going to close myself off from you. Op openness and honesty, because they are so much tied to trust, are very, very important for your wives. And wives, your husband needs your admiration. A man is tested by the praise he receives, Proverbs 27, 21. 
and one of my favorites, a nagging wife is like dripping that never stops. <laughs> Proverbs 27:15. What a horrible picture. <laughs> Self-esteem begins at home. Honest affirmation is a great motivator for men. Now I'm not talking about admiring your husband so he'll do more around the house. I'm talking about honest admiration that helps your husband become a better employee, a better father, husband, and a better lover. Think of things that you love and admire about your husband. There has to be some reason you fell in love with him in the first place. And if you've never been good at saying these things, then write them down. Practice saying them, and then eventually tell him. Say those things to him that you admire about him. Ken has been preaching for 30 years, and every time he preaches, he asks me after, how was it? How was my sermon? Did I do a good job? Was there, did you think that was too long? Did you like the introduction? Because he still needs that affirmation even after all this time, even after all these years. This may be awkward at first, and it must be sincere, but it will become easier and eventually become second nature. If you both have a problem with this area, work on it together. Sit down and make a list. Make a column of characteristics that you admire and one of characteristics that destroy your admiration. And then go over them together. Share the list with each other and agree to work on the negative characteristics together. Remember, you can't change a trait, but you can change a habit. Now, Ken has a trait of problem solving. He is a pastor. He can solve your problem. He's really good at that, good at listening and solving the problem. But sometimes when I come home from work and I've had an especially bad day, I just want to vent. I don't want the six easy reasons of how to solve the problem, the three steps to no longer having this problem. I just want to vent. So I'm venting, and Ken's listening with half an ear, and with his whole brain, he's figuring out the five steps of how to solve this problem. Now, that is a habit. His trait is to solve problems, to help people. But it's become a habit to just fix everything. So we had to sit down and talk to each other, and I had to explain to him the differences between when I just want to vent and when I actually want some help. Often when we complain about our spouse, we're focusing on their traits. That's something they can't change. You can't focus on those. Admire the traits and let him work on changing his habits. It's been said that in marriage, husband's highest value is significance and a wife's highest value is security. And because those are conflicting sometimes, it causes problems in the marriage. In general... And again, these are, remember, these are all generalities. But in general, men need that feeling of significance, that admiration. But women, their highest value tends to be for security. And so the fourth greatest need that your wife has is for financial security. It has to do with budgeting and planning and providing. The three biggest conflicts in marriage, over and over again, every, every marriage counselor will tell you that the three biggest areas of conflict in marriage are sex, family, and finances. Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> finances, and, and, and if finances are bad in the family, it just makes everything else bad. And so one of the most important things you can do is plan and provide for your wife. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Now you don't have to be Bill Gates. Okay? You don't have to be a multimillionaire. 
Just being able to provide for the basic needs of your wife and your family. That's all you've got to do. Live within your means. Save for your future. And plan. Now, if you don't know how to do this, we offer around here a good sense budgeting class. We offer it at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. The next time that comes available, if you don't know even where to start on this, I would strongly suggest that the two of you come together to that good sense class and sit down and start budgeting together. Because, you know, if you think you come home, you give her the paycheck and she's got to make it all work, that ain't going to happen. All right? It's up to you to provide that financial security. You need to be able to provide for the basic needs. And the way that you do that is through your job. And it's just being diligent. Again, Proverbs, this time chapter 10, verse 4. He who works with a lazy hand is poor, but the hand of the hard worker brings riches. Just says, do your job and be the best at it that you can. Because it's through that that you provide for the needs of your family. Now, this is a big one. Particularly in the communities that we, we are raising our kids. Because it's nuts out there. You know, I mean, the, last night was high school graduation. And the lavish parties and the huge expenses that some people put on for their kids graduating from high school. And kids who are promoting from middle school up to high school. And people spend thousands of dollars on this stuff. And it's nuts. It's just nuts. You don't have to do that. You need to hear somebody tell you, stop. Because <laughs> you don't need to do that. And we live in a culture and in a society right here that just, man, we're just spending and living beyond our means for the most part. And it's crazy. And you don't have to do it anymore. It's simply providing for the basic needs and making sure that your family is cared for. It provides security for your wife. And it's a vital need that she has. My next two points are out of order on your outline, so I apologize. But the fourth thing your husband needs is an attractive wife. Your beauty within and without is absolute. Song of Solomon 7.16 Oil and perfume make the heart glad. Proverbs 27.9 Now this is hard for me to talk about because it's so superficial. But you know, men are superficial. They're thinking about sex every three seconds. (laughs) Attractiveness is actually what you do with what you have. It's not being someone else, being a model or a TV star... It's not wishing you were someone else. It's just being a resemblance of the woman he married. It's just being who you are. You need to develop a style that is uniquely yours. Look through magazines, catalogs. What do you like? What colors are attractive to you? What kind of styles are attractive to you? Develop a style that is yours. Don't try to copy someone else's style. Pick your own. I have a definite style, in case you didn't notice this morning. (laughs) I work at a middle school, and my students even recognize my style right away. They're always bringing me little tiny Barbies or shoe erasers or high heel candles or all kinds of things because I have a style. And they'll say, Mrs. Jensen, I saw this, and it reminded me of you. One day I was shopping with my sister at TJ Maxx. And she's totally a different style than I am. We both have a style, but totally different. And she pulls this top with peacock feathers out of the rack. And she goes, this looks like you. It's $9.99. Try it on. So I try it on. I love it. So I go up to buy it. And the lady goes, Marge, someone's buying the peacock top. (laughs) Marge goes, you're kidding. There's a hundred of them in the back room. No one has ever even touched that top. My sister said, well, you don't know my sister. She likes the weirdest things. (laughs) I have a definite style. 
Do something that you enjoy that keeps you fit. I hate to run. I think running should be reserved for someone chasing you with a machete. You're trying to get away. That's when you run. But I like to dance, so I do ballet. I've been doing some sort of dance exercise since our children were born, because that's what I like. Do something you enjoy. Find something you enjoy that will help you keep fit. Take time for yourself. And yes, spend some money on yourself. It's okay. You don't have to go crazy, but it's okay to spend some money on yourself. Ask someone to help you if you need it. Go get your makeup done at a cosmetic counter. Ask for a personal shopper. Ask someone who you admire to go with you shopping, to help you develop a style. Whatever it takes to help you feel like you are doing the most with what you have. You meet an emotional need of your husband's by staying attractive. Remember, attractiveness is what you do with what you have. One of my lines with Betty's style is often, well, only you could pull that off. Fifth, your wife needs a commitment to the family. Your wife needs your commitment to the family, to her and to the children. She needs to know that she is number one in your life and your children are a close second. Proverbs 5.15 says, Be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her alone. This is so important. She needs to know that she's number one. And and that your your kids are are really second. And a very, very close second. And and I think it's a a male-female thing because maybe it has to do with the gestation period or whatever it is, but, but wives tend to see their children so much as an extension of themselves. And when you play with the children, when you're involved with the children, when you help discipline the children, you are actually supporting her as well. And that is so, so important. And I think there are far too many absentee fathers. And a lot of them are living right in the same home. (laughs) They're just not involved. They're not engaged. And it is so important as dads to know that you have something to contribute here. And you need to be involved. That should all be just turned. She's got to carry that load by herself. It is part of your responsibility. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your children while you still have the chance. Indulging them destroys them. See the part that you play and be involved in your kids' lives. If you neglect this, in some way you are neglecting your wife. It is one of her needs. And you've got to do that. Now, one other thing I would add on this when it comes to this commitment to the family is take initiative in home repairs. Okay? The, the nagging drip, 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 the endless <laughs> dripping. The best way to avoid that is do what needs to be done. <clears throat> when you do that, when you care, again, it's one of those things. For a woman, the home is her nest. It is an extension of her. And, and when you take care of household repairs and you fix the leaky faucet or whatever it might be, you are making an investment in her. It really is true. So take the initiative in home repairs. Now, I've got to tell you, this week I had to start some projects that I've been putting off for a while because I was going to preach this and I can't preach it if I'm not going to practice it. So, so this week I started on a new project around the house. But it shows your commitment to her and to the family. And lastly, wives, your husband needs your domestic support. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Proverbs 17.1. And Proverbs 31 says, She speaks wisely and teaches faithfully. She watches over family matters. 
Your home should be a safe place. It doesn't need to be expensive, richly decorated, perfectly maintained, just safe. This is where your husband can come home and be himself. He should be able to share his day without criticism or judging. This does not mean that you do all the work around the house. Husbands. <laughs> it's kind of like a harmony, like our singing this morning. I don't sing all the parts. I can't sing all the parts. I wouldn't be able to sing all the parts. So there's other people singing some of the parts. Now when we come together at 3.30 to rehearse, Marianne and I decide which part we're going to sing on each song. Ron decides how he's going to fit in. Yori decides how he's going to fit in. And then we practice. After we practice, we might switch it up. That was too high for me. Marianne could do a better job. Ron and Yori were singing the same part. We have to switch it up. We have to make sure that we can all fit in the parts that we need to make it sound good. It's the same way with the division of labor in your household. You have to sit down and work it out. If you don't sit down and have a meeting of the minds, what's going to happen is you're going to think he's doing such and such, and he's going to think you're doing such and such, and you're going to have such anger and resentment toward each other because you're not doing what you want, and he's not doing what he's want, he wants, and nobody's doing some of the stuff. So sit down and make a list. When, we, when I first went back to work uh, about 10 years ago, I had worked off and on when the kids were little, but not uh, in a full-time position. And about 10 years ago, I went back to work full-time. And at first, I tried to do everything, just like I was. Um, and at about two weeks, I hit a wall. I can't do that. I'm not Wonder Woman. thought I was, but I wasn't. <laughs> and so we sat down together. We had some good friends, John and Becky Cosmetis, who had been working, uh, both of them, most of their lives. And they had a great system worked out. So we asked them, what did you do? How did you do it? And they said, we sat down and we decided what we liked to do, what were the jobs we needed to do, what could we hire, and then how could we divide what was left over. So we did that. We sat down, what can we hire, what can we not, and so what do we need to divide between ourselves. And we each picked things that we could do. Maybe not our favorites. I mean, Ken picked the worst things, I think. Laundry, the worst thing, and grocery shopping. I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> he... <laughs> He had never done either, so he's like, I can do that, sir, that sounds great. So he picked those two horrible things, and that's what he does to this day, 10 years later. Now, along the way, we had to work a few things out. Why are the clothes all pink? <laughs> they shouldn't be. They weren't pink when we put them in. Um, and so you have to maybe do a little working things out, but give it over to each other and then leave it alone for the most part. Um, don't take it back. Now, sometimes in the summer, I'm off for a month. So I will say to Ken, I'm off this month. I'm going to do the laundry and grocery shopping for you. So he gets a little bit of a vacation too. Now, it's not mine. It's not my job. I'm just going to help for a little while. When we have huge company parties at our house, Ken will help me vacuum after. Now, that's not his job. It's not like he's taking it back. It's still mine, but he's helping me. So there's some times where you will want to help each other out, do a little give and take with the jobs that you've divided up. If you and your spouse are in love with each other, you will have a happy marriage. Whether, whatever it takes to trigger those feelings of love will be worth the effort. The big thing in all of this is to understand these are needs. And when we marry, we take a solemn vow 
We make a commitment to each other and, and understand what that vow is. We are saying this is now an exclusive relationship. That I am committing that I will look only to you to meet those needs in my life. You're the one I'm depending on. And I make a commitment to say, I will be the one to meet those needs in you. If you do not meet those needs, they don't go away. Because they're needs. And so if you are not meeting those needs in your spouse, what happens is resentment and frustration build up. And even worse, they start looking elsewhere to get that need met. Understand what the marriage vows are all about. They are the commitment that says, it's you and it's me. And I will be that one person you can rely on for whatever you need to the best of my ability. And I commit myself to look only to you to see those needs met in me. Now these are generalities, okay? Some of these might have fit for you. Some of them may have not. Some of the men, you might have heard one of the needs of wives and you go, well, I kind of feel that one, okay? They're generalities. The idea is that you know and you understand and you use wisdom in meeting your spouse's needs. We think that the answer to happiness is taking care of my wants, my desires, my needs. And, and Jesus told us very, very clearly, the fullest life comes from the life that's given away. The greatest marriage comes from giving up of your own rights, your own desires, and looking to meet the needs of your wife, your husband. And it is there that you will find the fulfillment of your relationship, the fulfillment of your marriage. It's important stuff. And if you don't give yourself to those things, they're not going to go away. Would you stand with us? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.